Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing Dwayne Scott Sierney. Now, Dwayne's an awesome guy. He deals on something that I am very interested in myself. You know, I, I often get people that just have interesting stories that I don't know a ton about that topic, and we learn together. You know, occasionally I talk to people that uh, are in a in something that I know a lot about, board games one time, those type of things. Dwayne um, is a vintage antique dealer. Now, obviously, I am nowhere near that, but I definitely am very into going to the antique malls, um, getting into ephemera, which he's going to teach us about what the world that word means, but I didn't even know that was something I was already collecting. Um, big into that. So, obviously, it was a it was a conversation that I knew a lot about already and was extremely fascinated to hear from him. He sent me his two books that he has written selling dead people's things and vintage confidential before the interview i power read that first selling dead people's things books um in oh goodness three days so that's uh that just shows that it was a really interesting fun book and uh, i think you would enjoy that too but i'm giving you all of this to tell you this is a longer interview Last week was a short interview. You know, if you set aside a certain amount of time every week to, to listen to this podcast, well, I, uh, I'd i like to use some of my rollover time from last week when it was, uh, you know, a, a short podcast because this one is longer than an hour. I try to keep them under an hour. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to worry so much about it happening every time because I don't want to cut good uh, good content for you. And I do think you're going to enjoy this one. Dwayne's such an awesome guy. He's going to teach you about what it's like to be a, a vintage dealer, going into estate sales, buying from eccentric people, some of the coolest things he has found in his 20 plus years um, buying things, some of the weirdest things that he has bought, some of the craziest collections that he has bought from and bought for. I think that you're going to enjoy this one immensely. I certainly did. We had a, a fantastic chat and, uh, that's why it kept rolling. You know, he uh, he was willing to keep talking, and I was willing to keep asking. So I do think you're going to enjoy this one. I'm going to uh, keep uh, keep uh, this intro short because it's a it's a long episode. So without further ado, here is Dwayne Scott Cerny. I'm here today with Dwayne Scott Cerny. Mr. Cerny, how are you? I am good. Um, introduce yourself, if you would, a little bit. Oh, once. sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm an antique dealer. Uh, I'm an author. I guess I'm a humorist if you find me funny and, and otherwise not. <laughs> well, I like I was telling you before, I read your first book in its entirety, really, really enjoyed it. And I definitely do find you funny. I, I laughed out loud several times, so I liked it a lot. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, your world of antiquing. I don't even know what, what do you are you an antique dealer? Is that what you called yourself? Uh, I, I, I think most people these days call themselves vintage dealers. Vintage dealers. Yeah. So you started at a really young age when it comes to this. Talk a little bit about, you know, your 
your quest for the resale and the port store and all that. Uh, all oh, that yeah. Stuff. We're going to go, go, go that far back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that was a kid. I had just um, I, I think I had a paper route for about a week and I realized this is way too much work. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, basically what I did was I started a, a consignment store on my uh, parents concrete porch and I, I called it the porch store. But then I said, all I would end up was having adults drive by and ask if I could recommend a, a good aluminum cider, you know, yeah. or somebody <laughs> to do to do their roofing. Um, so that was a you know, totally misbranded. I didn't I didn't get that. But uh, yeah, I would just go around the neighborhood and ask kids like, you know, what what, what toys aren't you playing with? And then inevitably they, you know, give me something and I'd either sell sell it or trade. And, uh, you know, I did that for like a summer. And I don't even know where I came up with that idea because uh my parents were weren't uh, weren't thrifters uh, at, at, at all. Um, my, my mother was like, you know, Sears Roebuck. You know, everything had to come from Sears Roebuck. I think I came from Sears Roebuck because everybody in the family worked for Sears. Yeah. Uh, and then in in high school, I uh, actually started a little a little side business. There, we'll talk about that briefly. We we'll get kicked off the air, uh, selling uh, Playboy magazines. Because mm-hmm. um, I remembered that I realized that uh, you know my uh, uh, fellow classmates that we, back then that was quite the thing to score a copy of uh, of Playboy magazine and uh, uh, coincidentally my father worked for basically like a subsidiary of, of of Playboy so I I recognized the the uh, the value of the desire <laughs> if not the interest. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I detail in the book exactly how I got into that, which was a, 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 a rather curious, but it was basically a way to uh, manipulate people, I realized, um, <laughs> to make some extra money. And again, being a busboy in a restaurant, that was really hard work. So <laughs> this was this was easier. So it's kind of the the taste of self-employment as a as a youth. Yeah, and I I thought it was so interesting that it had started so long ago, and that you're still kind of in in that same mindset and flipping things. And I thought it was it was really cool for sure because obviously you have you know scoured all kinds of places and gotten a lot of really interesting things. I'm sure you're not really actually interested in, but to know what other people's desires are, just like those Playboy magazines, maybe those you weren't necessarily interested in that, but you knew a lot of other people are so that you've kept kind of that skill. And that's oh, probably what's made you so successful. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. I don't think I've anyone's ever said that before. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, and even to this day, cause people are always asking me, you know, what kind of like what's hot, what's not, or, you know, when somebody's trying to sell me something that just doesn't really sell well now. And I've kind of realized that I, you know, I often refer to it that the vintage market is very much a fashion so I'm not that we, you know, we, and we do sell fashions, but that there are trends um, in that, in that, like, I mean, I've lived long enough to who, who would have thought that vinyl would come back is a good example. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was a time not so long ago where you couldn't give that away. Mm-hmm. I mean, once it had gone, you know, the internet had come along and um, vinyl. <laughs> um, and now there are actually new record stores. There's new record labels. It's, it's I've never, never in a million years would I have would I have guessed that. However, that's uh, an area vintage vinyl that has legs. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a market that isn't going anywhere except up. Whereas, you know, let's just say every rare once in a while, somebody comes in and asks for an eight track. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, any an eight track or an eight track player. 
you know, and it really becomes almost like a dead technology. Recognizing what people are interested in and following it. And also I'm in the Midwest, which is always, you know, eh, <laughs> uh, sometimes really more just like a, a few months behind. I would mm. say, again, before the internet, I'd say almost like a year or two behind, you know, a yeah. trend, you know, but now I think before they catch on to something. Um, and and not that the Midwest, that we don't have our own trends. Uh, in in my um, uh, second book, which has come, come out, I think you've heard about, which mm-hmm. is the Vintage Confidential, and I, and I write about music in general as a chapter in there, and it was like house music. Well, house music started in Chicago um, and then became a whole global thing. And strangely, I was in, in the beginning of that. I don't exactly know how, but I just kind of stumbled onto it. So to your point, I think it's kind of just listening to what, uh, paying attention to what people want. What, what you said about the vinyl thing, that's definitely resonates with me because that's, I, I'm definitely into vinyl and I kind of, so I don't know, like 10 years ago, I bought vinyl records, honestly, just to hang up on my walls. It was something cheap that I just posted it to my walls. And back then, at the Goodwill, I would find Queen, Rolling Stones, Beatles, all these things. Now that I've gotten back into it and actually listening to it, uh, find that at Goodwill. Yeah, right. You're going to find Lawrence Welk and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, right. yeah, it's huge, hugely like that. I, I get that for sure. And I want to kind of talk before we get into your books. I want you to highlight your, uh, I guess, your stores, because, I mean, you do have a, a platform there that you're that you're selling most of these things. I think you went from wham to bam right i went from wham to bam yeah i went from wrigleyville antique mall which was near uh, wrigley field uh to uh, broadway antique market which is up in uh, chicago's edgewater uh neighborhood yeah so talk a little bit about the stores i know it's the oldest and largest in chicago is that right yeah the largest like multi-dealer store so mm-hmm. it's uh twenty thousand square feet on two floors um so it's rather uh, um so it's sixty-one thirty north broadway uh, BAM, B-A-M, Chicago.com. Um, and yeah, we uh, opened up in 1998. We moved, of course, um, and into an old um, Art Deco um, furniture store. And so it was like perfect for our needs. And the second floor had been closed for like 20 years. And it was, and the building had been all kinds of things. It was crazy. Um, again, built as, built as a furniture store. And they actually manufactured furniture there. Um, and sold it. Um, and then it was a, a used car dealership because it had a concrete floor. Uh, it was a, um, uh, they made they made hats upstairs in a sweatshop, which mm. was called One Touch of Glamour, mm. which I think is the funniest, the funniest name. Just a touch of glamour. Sure. You don't want too much glamour. You know, right. could go over the top there. Um, <laughs> I think it was an art gallery. I mean, it's just, it's just been everything. But for us, it's to bring it back to what originally was, you know, built as, as a furniture store. It's, it's, you know, it's perfect. So, and it looks like it fell out of, uh, uh, you know, South Beach. It's just art deco. Mm, for sure. And I, I mean, I'm not too far from you. I'm in Indiana. It's definitely made me want to go check out your store for sure. I'm going to kind of leave it to people actually to read the book, but you asked me beforehand some of my favorite parts of the book. I definitely like the part where you finally get to uh, pay off that store and and tell the banker exactly what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that. That got kind of messy. I'm sure we've all have uh, ba- banker stories. Yeah. Oh, say, How could you make that interesting, right? Well, <laughs> well, you certainly do. I, I like it. Yeah, and let's kind of get to 
you say it early in the book, and I think that it's it's a really powerful thing. You know, I talked to somebody last week that's in the world of like funeral homes and funeral directing, and she kind of ties it into food and how food is nostalgia and people remember people by food. But your kind of topic is people kind of are their things. They're their, a collection of their things. And that's kind of, you know, you can go in somebody's house. That's what you do a lot of times. And you can kind of piece together who that person is. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's kind of like, a, actually, it's, I'll have to listen because that sounds fascinating with the mortician and food. Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, you, you, you end up being a bit of a detective in, um, uh, I mean, sometimes I don't just buy things from dead people or estates. Sometimes they're actually physically above ground and, you know, can talk to me. But, but when they're not, and there's been a lot of interesting situations, you just kind of have to figure it all out as you go. Um, so to me, it's not always about just, you know, buying the stuff and making money. I'm interested, I'm often interested in, in, in the person, but, you know, I mean, I venture to guess, even like you were just talking about, you know, if I came to your house and I see, you know, vinyl up on the wall or framed, or I could, you know, you get a, you get a feel for what, what, uh, what some, somebody's into and, you know, what they collect. And it can be some pretty, you know, peculiar things mm -hmm. that people collect and why they collect them. I mean, there's the whole notion of the people buy back their childhood. Mm. You know, once you got a little money and you go like, Oh, you know, that thing I, couldn't get it. I didn't get it as a kid. I can now buy for myself, you know, and then you end up with somebody who has, you know, 300 transistor radios or fill in the blank. Younger people really like owls. I have really don't have any explanation for that um, <laughs> from the seventies, especially and and we'll sell everyone we can, we can get our hands on. So again, there are these kind of uh, uh trends that'll come that'll come along and then a lot of there's a similarity of of people collecting that you know that same thing i know some owl people myself so i i hear you there uh, another thing kind of early in the book too you talk about which makes total sense just in the society that we're in and we like to dive into other people's drama and the fact that bad news sells a lot better sometimes than good news talk a, talk a little bit about that and i think early on you realize that what was it? JFK's assassination was something that was going to sell pretty well for you. Yeah. Well, that was just kind of a, a and it kind of tied into the playboy because uh, right. I was a kid. Yeah. I was four on that. But as you went along, it would be, you get it going to your, to your, you know, to your friends, uh, parents, their basement. And inevitably they had, they had uh, newspapers for the assassinations. It's like every, it's just something that people collected. And to this day, you'll go into, I'll go into people's homes and I think it'd be just in the worst shape. I mean, you can look at it. It doesn't even look like a newspaper anymore. It's like, like the dog got to it. Right. And then they think it's a value. And of course it's, you know, they, they, they printed millions of copies. It was the story of what the, the century. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, but rarer papers, papers that came out that said, you know, that uh, JF, uh, uh, JFK was wounded and not killed. Those are the, that was, that was the first story they, and they ran with. So those are, those are worth more than the ones that you find that you, you see that, that, that he's, that he's killed. So many people think they have the mother load because they have a, a copy of a newspaper that they made millions of copies of. Yeah, it's actually kind of the same thing in rarity. I always say about uh, when somebody will come in with a, a copy of Thriller, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Michael Jackson's Thriller. I said they sold fifty million of these. 
how how much could it possibly be worth? Right. I mean, think about it, you know, back to vinyl, you want a band that went nowhere. You you Mm -hmm. want a band that just, they just didn't hit, you know, they made 1500 copies and that was it. Those are things of value. That's what makes things scarce and rare. So it's kind of simple if you think about it, but you know, yeah, it, it, it does make sense for them at the same time. I feel like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. My, the, the vinyl that I have that's worth the most amount of money is one that they made 500 copies of. It's this street museum musician from new Orleans that was, I don't know if he's homeless or what, but that's the one that's worth the most money. Cause they didn't make much of it. That's right. There you go. eBay. I want to talk about eBay and I want to talk about the internet. It's been around for what, 30, 40 years now. So I'm sure the market has kind of adjusted and gotten used to it, but talk about the effect back in the early days that eBay, the internet had, because obviously back then, you know, before that, when you saw something, it's either get it now or who knows whether you're going to see it again. Now people can just click and see if they can find 10 more of them online. So what's that done? Has it made things cheaper? Has it made things just more accessible and easier? Or what's it like? Um, I think, I, I think, I think the latter, it certainly made it more, more accessible and easier. And, and I refer to it as kind of like the leveler. I mean, so you could, I'm sure you could like look up something that you own and you'll say, well, that guy's insane. I mean, are you on drugs? I mean, where, where did you come up with that price uh, that people put just some, and they didn't do any research. They just put it out there and they're hoping, I don't know, some idiot comes along. So I see, you see, I see a lot of that. I'm sure you see a lot of that. You go, mm-hmm. what are they thinking? Right. So I think it, it, it points out the fools. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I actually had a, I had a, guy, a, a gentleman contact me, uh, uh, a week or so ago and i had these um uh glass plate negative slides that they would that they put up in uh, movie theaters between um silent films mm-hmm. or a silent film that was going to be coming up they didn't have a shape they didn't have a, a, a trailer for it they would just have a slide and they would you know so it's, it's they're, they're they're rare but they're not that rare and uh, i had a bunch of them and i sold most of them and i had one left and the guy con- guy contacted me and he goes this well you have $25 on yours, but there's another guy who has the same one and it's 35. Why is his $35? <laughs> and I said, why are you asking me that? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, just mine's 25. I, it, it's, yeah. So people are funny. And, and I did sell it to him. I think he just realized, oh, well, it's the same one. It's, a, you know, it's, it's a, if the, if the condition is there, always have to go with that. Um, the, 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 the cheaper one is, is, is better. Though people are funny, and sometimes they think if they pay more, they're getting um, mm. they're getting a better one, and not necessarily. I mean, just, you just have to ask your questions. Um, my business partner always says that uh, eBay started with uh, all the hobbyists, and by this point, most of them are like dead and gone, or I don't know, they've gone on to other platforms. I don't want to knock any other on any other platforms, but there's certainly so many other places to sell. You know, it's very niche um, if you want to sell on Etsy or what, you know, whatever. Um, but I think it's I think it's leveled off the prices. I think the novelty of eBay initially, it kind of went both ways. If you were and if you were on it in the beginning and I wasn't because I was opening up, up stores, <laughs> foolish me, uh, people made a killing because they'd be like, I've never seen a penguin ice bucket before, even though it's the most ubiquitous item that could possibly be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, something very simple. And people would totally overpay so the people who were selling made a lot of money just crazy prices and and it did have an effect on those who were who had brick and mortar now 
it I, I don't feel it does at all. It's just another place. You know, again, you know, everybody's got a, a, a computer in their pocket, right? So you can be in a store and look up something. Um, but when you're in a store, you can actually physically look at the condition and we go back to that right mm -hmm. and like a paper it's all about condition vinyl we're talking about that ephemera it's all about the condition but that's also said for if you're buying a piece of glass or pottery or you know you're not you're gonna are you gonna see a you know a, a hairline crack <laughs> on something on online if somebody if the, if the seller didn't even catch it and they might not have or in a store, you could physically see that. So I don't think like that's ever going to change. There seems to be almost an appreciation for the stores that have survived, uh, especially kind of mid post COVID, since that wiped out a lot of you know a lot of retail went. Uh, but the ones that came through it, I think they were in some respects kind of you know the more resilient of business people, um, and customers appreciate that. Yeah, I think we're more appreciated now than ever just because we're still here. No, I, I think there's something definitely to be said to have that tangible item in your hand. I mean, I, I've bought a few vinyls online, but I don't like that at all. I like to have it in, in front of me before I buy it. So I, I understand that. And I also, I just wonder, you're talking about leveling. Does it ever allow you to level it the opposite way? Like you're saying, I teach some business classes. And my big example always is when I was a kid, I opened up a vegetable stand. My parents had a garden and, um, you know, it was just success. There was too much. And I put out free vegetables. Anybody wants vegetables, come take them. Nobody stopped. And then when I started putting prices on them, people stopped because people think, Oh, when you actually have to pay for something or when something's more expensive, just like you were saying, it's better. It's, it's better. So do you ever see you're, you're going to price something at $25 and you see, okay, everyone on mine is selling for 35 bucks. Maybe I should sell mine for 35 bucks if everyone else is getting it. Does it ever allow you to level it the other way? I, I think I'm influenced by uh, the, the pricing of others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it'd kind of be it'd, be, it'd be, it'd be silly not to only because I'd say, you know, I know a little bit about a lot, but I don't know a, a lot about <laughs> much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Paraphrase that. So, and I can, I can it, 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 especially if it's something rather obscure, I'm going to say, I don't know, uh, uh, a, a, a cigar cutter. I'll pull that out going like, there's something I don't know anything about. But I'll know it's a cigar cutter and it looks early and it's 19th century or something. And then I'll go out and look at different, uh, and I always recommend this for people too. I'm sure you do this yourself. You know, look at closed auctions, not what people are look, selling, right. asking, not all the craziness. What does something like this actually sell for? And if you can find it, if you can't find it, it's either really good or really bad. <laughs> it's, mm. You can't find it. Maybe those don't sell for some reason because they made so many of them. Or, um, or you, you know, you, you you find it and then it, you know, it it it, it could be you know, worth some money. But I think I have just like anybody else, I'm a newbie. I would be a newbie to the, to being a seller on that. And I would say, Oh, these are worth 50 bucks. I, I'll put mine out for 45. All these collections you go through all these collections, you're trying to help people complete. Cause I know that you do some of that too. Do you collect anything? What do you collect? Or is it kind of like the old, you know, what is that drug dealer saying? You don't, you don't buy your own product. Do you, <laughs> do you, not, do well, you I, not get into it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the store sells a, a tremendous amount of mid-century modern, mm -hmm. so very madmen looking from mm -hmm. furniture and art and accessories and all that. And you know, when you when you sell it all day, you don't. It, it's like people own restaurants. 
right? You know, that like, may be a better one than the drug dealer part. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, drug dealer. But yeah, you don't use your own product. That's good advice, though. I think it's mm-hmm. good. Um, so I don't, I don't collect that. Though, I mean, other other mid-century modern dealers absolutely do. Uh, I like the earlier stuff. I like deco things and streamline modern and machine age uh, 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 things. Um, I like photography, uh, cabinet cards, and CDVs and things like that. But even online, you know, into what you kind of what you were talking about earlier, um, there's uh, as soon as people realized they could, well, the, the, the quality of printing to create reproductions uh, became much simpler uh, for the masses, um, and so you know it, that started with like just say baseball cards. So people started knocking off baseball cards and I'm like, well, that's okay because I don't sell baseball cards, but then they started doing that with images and mm. that kind of spooked me and I stopped. So uh, I'll, still buy, I'll still buy an image if I stumble on it at a market and I can look at it or in somebody's house. But again, to your point with the, with the internet, I'm, I'm much more hesitant because if, uh, if you know, if, if you want to send it back, you know, it's just a hassle. And I know as a seller, I don't like returns. I want to have clean deals. I want people to be happy, you know? So, um, uh, like, so I, I, I collect, I collect a lot of unusual things for me. Um, I like, I like exploitation posters. Um, so I would say kind of in like in the John Waters vein of odd, um, again, something that they wouldn't have made a lot of, and, uh, they really weren't intended to last that long, you know, um, movie poster for like, a, you know, shotgun wedding or, <laughs> um, uh, as a matter of fact, from, a, I've heard John Waters speak a couple of times and whenever he mentions something I've never heard of, I'm scribbling it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, like, example, I've got a copy of uh, mom and dad. So mom and dad was one of those hygiene films. If you ever hear of that. Um, So it was, um, this would be in the late forties, early fifties. And uh, they'd come into town with this, it was called mom and dad, and it would show the birth of a baby. So here's the gimmick is, (laughs) is that uh, uh, the first showing would be at like, you know, four or five in the afternoon. um, And they'd have uh, uh, women. It would be just for women. Only women would be allowed to see this. And so it was billed as more like this clinical film, right? Mm-hmm. And then the seven or eight o'clock showing would be just, it was men only. And then it was shown as a dirty movie, as if giving birth could be somehow sexualized. But mm-hmm. I didn't make this movie. This It's one of the most profitable films ever made. Mm-hmm. And they just went from town to town with this. So, and I'd never heard of another film that, that would have... Uh, I don't say segregated, but separated audiences like that. Um, crazy idea, but someone they made a fortune on that. So as soon as I heard about that, I gotta find I gotta find a copy of that. So so you know, like yourself, I'm sure you have something that you've always looked for. You're kind of on the on the hunt, you know. But then once you find it, you know, you're happy you find it. But it's like, well, you know, it scratches the itch for for a moment, and then you know, you're on to the next thing. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of what I've found in because I've, I don't know, I've collected darn near everything in my life, I feel like. And I feel like I've gotten to a point now where like with vinyl is one thing and then old board games. I like those two things. And I've realized what makes me like these things now is that I can still interact with them. Obviously, all these other things that I've collected in my in my time. Okay, I finally got it. And I'll just put it on the shelf. And now I've forgotten about it. And I'm not enjoying it anymore. To be able to keep on, you, you know, do, using it, keep on interacting with it, feel like makes it 
makes it more pleasurable. And just, I always like to try to find something in my interview to show my incompetence. What is the, you, you say the word quite a few times in the book, and I think that's kind of what you collect too. What's this word? How do you pronounce this word? That's just like paper stuff. Ephemera. What is it? Ephemera. 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 E P H E M U R A. Ephemera. I don't yeah. feel too. I don't feel too bad then. I I I thought you were gonna say a word like oh I've heard that before. I just didn't know how it was spelled. No, I don't think I've ever heard that word before. Yeah, that's a kind of. I mean, paper dealers are ephemera dealers. I gotcha. Um, I didn't make up that word. Or anything. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I like, I, I like that word though, because that kind of, if, to some people you say paper dealers and then they go, right. what do they, what do you mean by, what do you mean by that? But, um, it's a fun word. No, it is. And I, I think that's a, a cool catch all word. Cause I feel like I like that kind of stuff too, like old tickets and programs yeah, and that you, kind of stuff. So you collect it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't even it, know it. I don't know if I'll be able it. to say what I collect, but yeah. I do sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. So if you would, because this book is kind of a, and the book I'm talking about, the one that I've read, I want you to tell us more about the other one too, but the book that I've read is Selling Dead People's Things. That's that's the name, correct? It's the name of the book. Yes. And it's kind of a collection of a lot of different stories from your time, all these years in, in being a, a vintage dealer. If you would, obviously, I don't want you to you know, give away $2.99 of the book, but Give us a, a story or two that people are going to find in these in these books. Happy to tell you some of the ones that I thought were interesting, but I'd I'd be more interested to know kind of the ones that you you enjoyed the most in in writing or experiencing. Um. Well, I I um I love getting feedback from it because it's uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of back it up a little bit and say wasn't sure I <laughs> wasn't sure what I was what I was writing, and I thought on one hand I was kind of writing a business book about how to. That, it's not a how-to. I always want to be very specific with people so they don't think they're about buying something. Go, that's I didn't learn anything. Um, and so, isn't this isn't uh, it's selling dead people's things? It's my selling dead people's things. So my experience in 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 in, in doing that. So and having stores. So half of the book is that, and then the other half are basically the stories. Some of the more unusual stories um, of things that I kind of stumbled into. And this particular book has a, a bit of a paranormal bent. Because these things have happened and happened to me and to others. And I thought, let's just put them in one title and kind of then get them out of the way. So I want people to realize it's not like, you know, oh, like every other place I walk into is haunted or haunted dolls and things like that. And it's not. It's that's that's not. I have been in some odd places. Uh, one of my favorite is the uh, there's the um, Edgewater um, Hospital. Uh, story and um, that's now been turned into into condos but we were there when they it, it had closed and it's just this enormous hospital that was originally a very upscale hotel and then uh, remodeled into a hospital um and uh that was a very creepy place to be I just i'll just i'll just leave it i'll just kind of leave it at there um there's another story and i like stories that kind of have an o henry ending if if there if there naturally is one so uh, I'd say look, by the, like, on the top three, readers tell me they love the story about the little old lady who just lived in three rooms. I love That's that one, yeah. one of their favorite stories. And it was to me too going like, whoa, you know, a story that just kind of blows me away while I'm there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the story about Jacob Marley. 
So, um, which was a gentleman I was uh, friends with. And we had, there was a store called Jacob Marley and everyone thought his name was Jacob Marley. And we all know from the Christmas Carol, it couldn't possibly, his name was Jacob Marley. Well, it could have been, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had was a florist and then got into the antique business and he would just have the best stuff. So just like religious things and sterling and jewelry and uh, photographs, ephemera. He was a big ephemera dealer, but everything would be displayed like in branches of trees and under apothecary domes. So before everybody got into like uh, the whole oddity thing, this guy was doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And when people would come in and they'd say, oh, I, you know, I want to speak to Mr. Marley. And he'd say, oh, well, Mr. Marley's not presently in, but I can help you. So Mm -hmm. the guy created this retail facade and then sold behind it successfully for years he is one of the first people to introduce uh like selling mid-century modern turned it into a show here in chicago which was a big deal um celebrities would come in from la and new york to shop this show i mean you put it on the map um his and his his uh his name was a tom nanescus was his his real name um and we became friends he moved in right next to us um and he passed and what I what I realized from it, though, was that and this was the height of the AIDS crisis, was that, you know, there were there were Jacob Marley's in in every city around the world. If you, if, if you can hold with that thought in that somebody created a store that was really important to thousands of people. And this is how they decorated their homes and bought gifts for their, you know, wives and girlfriends and husbands. And 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 then they die and it's gone. And so we have people always talk about you know, just the great loss of creativity from um, from from AIDS, but very little is ever written about the retail part of it mm. that it that that existed. Because I guarantee you, you go to LA or Houston or you know any 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 town in the world, and there was people would have their favorite store, and then that guy dies and it's gone. And I that that's kind of what got me about it was I realized that this my own little personal experience here was much 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 bigger, and that. Uh, um, I wanted to write about people like that. It's important. He was important. So um, yeah. I, so going back to like one of my favorite stories, it goes back to the to the person, and then this then and their things. Right. No, I I enjoyed that story a lot, and I'm just trying to kind of tie things together. It's kind of a I don't know. It's a strange question, but you said that a lot of you know during the you know the heightened of the the AIDS crisis that a lot of people all these stores across the country had lost their lives. I feel like, are you, are you saying that a lot of people that were in this business maybe are, I don't know, is it more of a a business? A lot of people that I guess at that time were getting AIDS. So was it more of a a homosexual world? No, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of gay antique dealers Mm -hmm. because a lot of gay vintage dealers now more than ever. And they're always, they're always have been. There always have been. And 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 I think it maybe addresses to that going like maybe from even from years ago where it was harder for people to get the, to uh, get a job and to keep mm. a job. Maybe just say someone was like naturally kind of effeminate and then it would be hard for them. But but they could open up a little store and do their own thing and make a living. So um, but it definitely it's just like it's like the arts. I mean, like why were they why were there so many uh, you know p- people who died who were in the arts? Well, because they were gay and so uh, that's why it affected broadway and things like that or but you can go down to you know it's this it's screenwriters just a lot of creative people 
the ten, you know, gay people tend to be not that straight people aren't creative. I, I don't mean that. My, my point always is just that it's like you had a favorite, you had a favorite place. Like, here, let's see, you know, you had, it didn't affect the, it didn't affect the restaurant industry the same way. Let's put it that way. And not that there aren't gay restaurant tours, but it just, it just didn't. So, and, and that's what I found unusual about it. I'm always looking yeah. for what is a part of this story that's unusual. And again, it wasn't just, it wasn't just the United States. People would be there with their favorite store in London, their favorite store in Paris. And I would hear about these stores and they would just be, oh my gosh, the, the stuff this person, uh, you know, sells. And, and people, you know, to this day, will say, you would say, where did you get that? Oh, well, do you remember so-and-so? This was in his store. That's a story that goes on because of an object. There's no story from, from anything that you or I bought from Ikea. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like that a lot. Honestly, just in transparency, the minute I asked that question, I thought that's a weird question. I'm going to well, cut, I'm going to cut that all out, but then your response and just to think about why that may be the case and discrimination that had happened in the past. Obviously this is a world where you're able to, you know, become an entrepreneur and do your own thing. Makes total sense. So no, you've, you've taken a, a weird question and made it a really cool one. Oh, no, that was a great question. That was a, that was a great, that was a great question. That's I, yeah. I uh, it's an important. It's an important question. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, but better, better than great, and it's it's an important question because then then we just kind of better understand these things too. I, I mean, I you know, I love the fact that I mean, younger people, and I'm going to say, you know, now in their you know, their twenties or whatever, they don't necessarily identify as anything, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's not me. Fine, but but that's wonderful <laughs> because it's just that you know because like their parents were cool with it. They don't have like a coming out story. What's the coming out story? You know, but I I I think it's important too is that how times cha have changed, and we can look at things with a perspective. And vintage is very much history. Mm -hmm. You you why you collect those things is because you're interested in history. I yeah I I love that for sure. And just to kind of for your own. For your own benefit, the, the stories that I enjoyed, well, I enjoyed all of them, but the ones that I had written down, I liked any time that you were dealing with, I think is is Hayroth. I really enjoyed hearing about him. I enjoyed the incubator baby story. That was super cool. The beekeeper apartment was cool. I guess Hayroth's wife, Marilyn, and the and the dog and the bird that you had taken in, really, really awesome. And then I feel like the one that was the maybe the coolest was towards the end, and it's you know, the lady, I guess you probably didn't even buy the thing, but the, the program from the, the fire with the theater was super awesome. From the Iroquois theater. Yeah. Right. She didn't, she wouldn't, that's a, that's a story where somebody wouldn't sell me something and then, and then, but has to tell me why she won't sell it. Thank you. I'd forgot. I'd, for, I'd forgotten. About, I'd forgotten about that one. That's, that's, that's one of my uh, personal favorites. Hopefully we're, we're wetting everybody's appetites for, to, uh, take a selling dead people's things read oh and i, I just finished the audiobook on that and oh, that is now good. available on audible i like it let's talk about we talked about the internet earlier talk about what i guess reality tv in this world has done to the the profession i feel like i'm sure i always ask questions then i try to answer myself but i feel like uh i'm sure it's turned a lot of people into thinking that you know they can they can do this easily that it's not a hard thing to do and then also makes people think that every storage shed or every house is going to have amazing treasures at this point. So talk about reality shows and, and the effect. Sure. Um, I think when you start with um, Antique Roadshow, because mm -hmm. that's really what started it all, mm -hmm. and uh, leave it to the Brits to do it much better. 
like so many things that Americans then will just like rip them off and let's see if ours works. So that's a real show with real experts and I love it and it's been on forever. And I think what that did is it triggered a whole interest in all this stuff, right? And that people say, well, I don't have that particular, you know, I don't know, milk jug or whatever, but grandma had this one and, you know, go run into the basement, see if we still have it. You know, I wonder if that's worth anything. And you get on your computer and start looking up and see if it's on eBay. So at it, so it starts there and you're going, well, that's just great. And then you go to the American uh, Roadshow, which again, legitimate vetted is a good word. I like that word a lot, vetted. So they're not letting any goofballs on there. I probably would not be on that show. Let's put, put it that way. <laughs> For that, for that, for that reason, after that, it's like open season. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll make comments like this. Um, I we've been asked to because we prop uh, TV shows and and uh, uh, films and have for what you read the book uh, have for you know twenty five some years. Well, we've been asked to prop uh, storage locker shows. Oh. So th- <laughs> do I even have to finish the thought? Right. What right? So, and yeah, I always go like, is that staged? Da, da, da. Now, are some of them real? Perhaps with a small P, but I know from my experience of just being that, and we didn't, of course they wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, that's not a way, I don't need to make money that badly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just fooling people. So no, um, Pawn Stars is based on a real pawn uh, shop in Las Vegas. And I think now they film it in a set that looks like, the shop i think that's how they do it and they bring out experts and i think that's uh, that it, it, I, I believe that to be legitimate you know um and after that i, I, I probably i probably i probably said enough <laughs> yeah. so yeah, it's reality tv what part of it is real i mean a lot of things are just i'm I, i'm just i'm from what i always hear is just like you know, there's still a director and there's still sort of a script. And OK, say that line again and say that line again and say, well, here, you and I aren't having that kind of a conversation. Hmm. This is <laughs> this is much more real. What, right. what we're having, what we're talking right now, you know, than, 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 than reality TV. So I think I know that people aren't stupid. So I think that people enjoy it. And I think they kind of accept it for what it's worth. Oh, I mean, um, I love hoarders. I'm a it's great. It's just a great show. Probably some of that is stage. It has to be. There's already a camera in the house. How did that happen? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm in hoarder homes and my favorite are, you know, there's there's hoarders and then there's upscale hoarders. Mm-hmm. And the upscale hoarders, if you think about it, is somebody who's a hoarder, but they have money and then they could just buy whatever they want. Well, let me tell you, that's the house you want to get into because there's going to be some great stuff. Uh, you're going to still be dealing with someone who doesn't want to part with a bottle cap, you know, mm. and the other, you know, and uh, up making fun of anyone with, you know, such mental uh, issues. <laughs> um, that's still kind of sad, you can see. But I get it. I totally get it because it's that nature of collecting. And I just, you know, um, the other thing I think, and I kind of wrap this up for you is that, Almost every third or fourth episode of Hoarders, they're in the thrift store. They're going to a thrift store. Even if they've thrown away or given away everything, they're back at the thrift store because they have to buy. They have Mm -hmm. to find something else, find something else. That's the addiction there is people shopping. And that's really, that's kind of, it's, it's kind of sad because I really, you know, I see that in real life. And then there's, that's a, that's a real trend. They could have a show just on that. But it's, to me, it's sad because you're just following someone's around who, you know, has really has some mental issues. The, the reality show thing 
it is kind of almost crazy to hear that you you've been asked to to prop some of those shows so yeah i mean i've talked to a ton of people in from various reality shows i just like to to hear the behind the scenes and how true some things are so the big thing i feel like and people realize is these shows have you know they're trying to entertain people they're trying to put a product on that people want to see and if it's just a bunch of junk that nobody cares about then no one's going to watch it so that makes sense for sure you talk about hoarding and collecting to you because obviously it may be subjective to a point and then sometimes it's not but how do you determine what you think a hoarder is versus somebody with just a very extensive collection okay if if you can't have people over (laughs) yeah I, I I I think that's that that that's about it because you know I've absolutely been in places where you got to wear you know space boots and gloves and you know we were wearing masks before COVID. Uh, I know people who aren't in the business anymore because of just mold mm. of finding stuff in the basements and you're not thinking about it, you know. So um, yeah, that 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 that's my go-to answer is that you just can't have anybody over because you're you're embarrassed it smells bad there's no place to sit and yeah the whole if you can't have people over that that makes sense i feel like if you uh if you had a cat three years ago and i haven't seen it since you know you probably have some problems (laughs) i often say that this is a business where you have to be a bit of a social worker Mm -hmm. and a bit of a clergyman Mm -hmm. um uh and a decent human being and your check should be good I think if you got those four things, you're probably fine because sometimes people aren't ready to sell things uh, that your Koi theater story. Oh, I pine after that. I pine after that going like, my, and also what the heck happened to that thing? Like if I got it, I know I'm going to sell it to another collector. You're there, this, or maybe I'm going to sell it to a museum and it's going to be preserved. It's back in her drawer. Right. And then the next person or somebody comes in there, which after she passes, they even know what it was. And out it goes. So it's lost. So and sometimes I, I almost think it's like I'm I feel like I'm saving a kitten. We'll mm. go back to the cat smell. But but, yeah. you know, I, and I get that feeling, too, because it's just like otherwise. Eh, I mean, because you know, look around here or, or she's 85. Where's it's going? We I never go and like talk anybody out of like, oh, I'm giving this to my granddaughter. And that's great. I'm always just like or even, or I'll kind of double down on things as I'm buying it. Now, these are the things I'm buying. Are you sure these are the things you want to sell? Do you want to change your mind on anything? Always give it, and people are much more comfortable to refer me to mm-hmm. others because I behave that way, and you know my my business partner does, and my dealers do, you know, for the most part as well. They're decent people. That's why they've been they've been with me all these years. That makes sense for sure. Talking about collections, what are some of the most interesting collections that you you came upon? I'm sure there's been some some crazy things. Well, we write about um, High and his collection of little people, uh, images of little people, and little people, objects and related (laughs) collectibles. Um, Oh my gosh. We would, um, for the longest time, we we would put out a list uh, twice a year to the dealers. And it would be like, this is what people are looking for. Because I realized people coming in and telling myself or my staff, oh, I'm looking for this. And we write it down on a little piece of paper, right? But we don't do anything with that little piece of paper. What's what's that? So like we we would make a list. And then when it would be like commonalities, just a lot of people looking for the same thing, right? And I'll put out something like, because I remember this happening, uh, jadeite, jadeite mixing bowls, so those green mixing bowls, right? So 
you know, Martha Stewart started collecting those in the 90s. And within an hour and a half, you know, you couldn't buy one. So not that that's odd, but it was just like, oh, there you could see you could you could see the trend. I had a gentleman who collected um, uh, six inch advertising rulers Hmm. and he was a college professor and a lovely, lovely, lovely person and uh, and had, oh, gosh, hundreds of them, just hundreds of them. And uh, and then it turned out that he had he had been you know, junking, hitting antique stores, whatever. And he'd found a, uh, uh, tw- it was a, tw- it was a 12 inch advertising ruler, um, uh, for a paint store from his hometown where he grew up and the printing for the, for the ruler was on the first six inches. Mm. And so he just, so he bought it and he just, it was just one through six and then, but they do actually make a, a six inch advertising rulers. Uh, they made a lot of them. Uh, and then he was onto it and I used to tease him. I said, it's a good thing. And they weren't all your, your collection would be twice as heavy. But again, going like, I, you know, and he asked about it, but I'm not asking about it and making fun of him, but, but by any means I could, who, who, who am I to say with all those, you know, stuff I collect. Um, but there's, there's, there's a lot of interest in just uh, uh, to to the darkness. I mean, things that are just like skull related, you know, and, and beyond Halloween, you know, I mean, just that kind of, uh, um, well, Marilyn Roth was a good one with having the bad earrings and all that uh, and skull rings. And, you know, that's the seventies for, for God's sakes, you know, um, when a lot of that's that, that, that stuff uh, came out. Um, I had a guy who, collected uh, art deco dentures mm. and and i would go even here going i don't even know what that means right and he'd go no no it would be it would be like they're skyscrapers you know that not all the teeth are even mm. i don't know how you get into collecting <laughs> that and but the ones that which i think i mentioned in the book was it was uh artificial limbs and railroad timetables mm-hmm. right uh-huh. so uh and i love that because it's just first off it's fun to say artificial limbs and railroad timetables but what is that about what the heck is that about where do those things meet in Mm -hmm. in in the mind of a human being i mean Mm -hmm. just go there right um and then it would be that because i was at his house and he had all these like old mannequins place was just filled with mannequins which is creepy as heck and there were some great mannequins there but it tied into that he, he loved having those, finding those artificial, so it'd be like, you know, someone's half of a leg or generally there were a lot of half a legs, as I, I recall. Um, railroad timetables, I would find them railroad timetables all the time. <laughs> Pardon, I didn't mean to make that joke. But where those two collide, it's just, just, uh, it fascinates me. Again, I, I'm, I'm not even answering your questions. I'm just po- positing others because I don't understand it myself. But humans are interesting. <laughs> yeah, for for sure. So you know, you you go into these places sometimes at I guess more somber moments when people have passed. Do you find because I feel like there'd be two different sets of people. Which one's more often? Where you go in and everyone reminisces about these items and everyone wants too much money, or is it more often that people are like, I just want all this junk gone. I don't care what you give it to me. Or how much you want to give me for it? Just giving things away. What's more common? The first, really. The first. Um, the you know the the the. I was going back and like, what is the motivation behind these things? And the problem is, 
This is another tip for your listeners. At some point, we're all in this, you know. You got you know, maybe you clear out your folks' house or something, and you you, you think you're going to avoid it, but you won't. Um, so the 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 connecting factor here is time, and people do not give themselves enough time. In that, you know, oh, the house sold faster than we thought, and now we got to get rid of got to get rid of all this stuff. Well, this is a process. If you really want to make the most money on it, it's a process. Um, and all the things you need to do, which is take photos and send them out to dealers and then get people there and then have a estate sale or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever you're going to do. If you don't do that, this is the last minute. And I get these calls all the time. The, the condo, the house has to be emptied out by Tuesday morning. And I'm getting this call on a Saturday afternoon. Hmm. Right. Cannot be done. I can't line up a mover that fast, even if even if I could. Right. So I get that a lot. So people just didn't take the time to prepare for things. And then they're told you don't make good decisions when you're rushing. Hmm. Right. You just don't. So yeah. it's kind of like an, another another life lesson. The people who have these collections that just think everything's worth a million dollars. You know, it's nice to look at it at them. But I have no problem uh, deflating people's balloons uh, when it when it comes to that, because, again, I could just pull it up and say, here's a, here's the auction records. Right. This is what it sold for on this date. You know, there's what 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 very few things that you can't find. There are things that are you can't find, but but you can still get a ballpark feeling for most everything um if you if you if you know where to look so yeah and um honestly if it's if the situation where like they're just you know wanting to give me things i'm really uncomfortable with that mm. i don't we don't we'll really we try to buy things we want to buy things we'll buy things because that's somebody that's just desperate then you know um often and i just don't i think that's why i'm still in business <laughs> i'd like sure. to think that you know um because i'm really there to um help people out and also you know some people don't want to be helped out you know they 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 think they do but they don't you know they're not ready to part with it um a lot of times this will be where oh my gosh this was my mother's favorite bedspread you know it's that emotion does not connect to the person that i'm going to sell it to Mm -hmm. right there's no little little plastic bag that we can put those emotions into and it goes with it to the next but it doesn't work doesn't work that way so that's the other, you know, kind of fascinating part of, uh, you know, part of the business. You know, your your love for something isn't necessarily transferable to the next person. For sure, I feel like that would be a a tightrope to walk. Where you're the fifty dollars more you want for this because you know it was in your family for fifty years. No one cares about that. That's no. you, you want to write that down on the back of it. That's not really going to get <laughs> right. any more money from me. Good advice. Now that's a good idea. There you go. Good idea. Pin that to that, and then we that well, history goes with it. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So I guess the last question I would have in this before we talk about exactly these books um, is the fun aspect. You talked about that kind of at the end, and about how you know obviously a lot of people do you know this vintage type stuff out of fun and a side thing and all this kind of stuff, but this is your real job. Um, it's not always all fun and games. So talk about some of the, uh, I guess, less, less idyllic parts of, of the role. Well, I think part in part of that chapter, I think I might mention that it just seems like everybody expects you just to give a free quote on pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. How about this? How about this? How about the, you know, and after the third one, and then I'm out, you know, because I'm not here. Can I enjoy my cocktail? Can we watch the game or whatever? You know, so um, that 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 annoys me. But that's kind of people. But I always say you wouldn't be asking, you know, some other professional person for something for free. <laughs> you know, basically, because this is this is this is what I do. Um, 
clearly, uh, I, th- I think probably the worst is just, well, you know, if you're going in there and you're, you're bu- buying things um, or trying to buy things and someone is ill and they're, you know, they're downsizing into a hospice situation or things like that. And trust me, I mean, here we're going, you know, a uh, hundred miles an hour because want to get as much information is into your, to your listeners. But when I'm that, I'm the listener. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I really, really try to get a feel for what's, I ask myself this all the time to take a pause and go, what's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do? So like, where are we in this? It's their pace. It's their life. Their life is more important now than ever. So I think those are the more really, you know, and I don't write about that in the book, but, but those are one of the more delicate, you know, situations. Once someone's gone, you're, you know, you're either dealing with a family that like, you know, they, well, sometimes they care. Sometimes they don't care. Sometimes they care too much. Right. But again, it's that, you know, it's the time element of kind of how motivated they are to, you know, to buy these things, though that can still be sad. But I kind of look at it as I often ask who, who was this? You know, tell me about your wife. Where did she work? I start out just there. What did she do? Really? It's what did, what did he do? What did he do? And and I, and I, and I, and I do this in some ways to almost diffuse my own uncomfortableness with what we're, what we're about to do. And inevitably they can't wait to tell you about, you know, drunk uncle bob <laughs> and what a hootie was especially yeah. at parties um and uh and why they you know and he couldn't keep a job or a wife you know all these these stories and you're still you know you're still buying his things but it kind of brings him back when others talk about him and i don't mean that in a, necessarily a paranormal way but it just brings him back into the room and into the conversation it makes it easier to buy his things so it's sad but i try to make it as this particular part of it as, as painless as possible. No, that makes sense. So I, I want to know what made you write these books. I'm sure there's, I mean, there's plenty of people that do what you do. I have not met a ton. So I'm going to say you're probably the funniest at what you, at, at the job, just, oh. I'm going to give you that credit, but what, uh, what made you decide to write this book? Well, like I said, I, I, I started out with unintentionally writing two different books hmm. And then I really didn't know what to do with them. And I, then I thought, well, I actually went online and I was like saying, well, there have to, has to be like a memoir because it seems like part of it is like a memoir. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a memoir from an antique dealer. God, everything's been done. And um, I could, the only thing I could find was a, uh, an antique dealer in, in, in the UK in the 70s. He wrote about his adventures and uh, I couldn't even find a copy of it, but it, 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 did, it did exist for a while. And um, so it was probably, you know, Antique Roadshow, like the, the, the origin story, right, of this, this, this guy. Um, so that motivated me because it was like everything's been done. I just seen everything. And uh, I give you my perfectly honest answer. So I have a, a friend of mine who's a, 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 a composer and, um, and a playwright. And, uh, and I, I had to learn a word here. I did not know what this word was. So I told him my problem and he says, well, you need it. You need to, I'm going to say it wrong. You need a dramaturge, mm-hmm. a dramaturge. And he goes, that's somebody who comes in and like pulls this all together. Right. Mm-hmm. And I go, I, I don't even know what the word is. So who do, how do I find somebody like that? And he goes, I'll do it. Oh, and yeah. so he came over and we, and I had all these chapters and we laid them all over the floor and we mixed them all up. Um, and then we sat down and, uh, it's, we started with 
the first story, which is uh, Traces of the Man Who Disappeared. And if anybody wants to, you can Google that right now and put in New York Times, Traces of the Man Who Disappeared. And um, that was published in the New York Times. Hello. Um, and by a fluky story we're not even going to go into just an impossible thing that that happened and then i went oh gosh i'm on to something i mean i got something in the freaking new york times um on a lark mm-hmm. uh and i was like i have more stories like that and then i realized i'm really not good at fiction i should write the stories of these things that have happened to me and happened to other dealers um and we combine these two uh, piles <laughs> into one, and it might sound like we just threw it together and then you know went out for a beer, but we didn't. Um, it was, and then went through it again and again and again and again and, and pulled things out, stories that just didn't fit. Um, he was a bigger fan of the the business stories than I was, and I have to say I've had a number of people really like the business stories. Going, it's kind of like this, you know, you can do this, you can start something, you know. Um, and I wasn't all that young. I was 30. That's, that's, that's not, that's not young, but, but I'm, you know, uh, 63 now. So yeah. (laughs) And to start with nothing, um, and, and, and to, to build a business. Uh, so a lot of people like that. And it just, if you get any of the takeaways of even this conversation we're having about little kind of uh, pointers for business. So as much, as much of a business book and kind of at its heart, and then it actually kind of has a heart because I could tell these stories. And so my big fear was that people wouldn't be able to kind of make the connection. But as you read through it, it sort of, it sort of kind of works. And of course it's had editors and proofreaders and oh my gosh. Um, Cause I was very, I was very wary about that. Um, but it, yeah, it, that's, it, that's how that, uh, that came to be. Uh, the cover scares people. <laughs> Um, and that I have to put this out here true story so um, that I found that uh, from um, an Etsy dealer who had has that image on a a set of uh, dinnerware yeah so you could just (laughs) buy the plate or the cup Uh, it's called so it's called give her a shout out so she's beat up creations she's an Mm -hmm. Etsy seller and she's a fabulous artist fabulous and um, she uh gave me permission to use that image. And then we toned it down because trust me, my editors, you know, it's, I, I, and for people listening to this, one of the best explanations someone gave me was that it's, it's like a, a spooky um, American Gothic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to, uh, to explain, but I, I wanted, I wanted a car. I just thought nobody's going to read this book. Who's going to read this? Who's going to read this? Who's going to want to read this book? You know, and you have to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. And so, and I thought, well, the fact that there are a couple paranormal stories in there, and you know, they're kind of scary. Um, the, the image is scary. And then I was blessed with these great blurbs that I, that I received from um, uh, celebrities and designers, where people were just very, very kind to me. Because that was the other. Uh, I had an agent for a while, and that was one of her uh, recommendations was to get you know get people to read this book and give, give blur it's a blurbs. And so that was a kind of thing I've learned. Um, and now my second book, same thing. I re- reached out and got uh, uh, blurbs uh, from, from uh, people of note. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about what the second book is and, and what people are going to learn from that. Obviously we focused a lot on the first book just because that's the only one that I've read so far. I look forward to reading the second one. Tell us what people are going to find there though. 
so uh, the second book is Vintage Confidential. Um, and I didn't want to do uh, uh, Selling Dead People's Thing Part 2. <laughs> I couldn't figure out a way, you know, even even uh, verbally or literally that I was in. I, I just didn't want... I, and you know, it's not me. I just kind of don't repeat myself. I get bored. So, um, but I wanted to do another book. And it, it, took, me, it took me quite a while just because... Uh, life, COVID, um, I, on and on. So it's similar, but there, it's, it's not paranormal. I would say it's uh, actually uh, sexier in more like a sex positive way. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it's more contemporary. I think it's funnier. Um, it's still my experiences and my essays and my stories um, that are linked together with less of a narrative arc. <laughs> yeah so i again I, I i wanted to write something that uh my my, my editor says this is my transition book hmm. um so that, where <laughs> i'm transitioning i don't know it sounds, it sounds a little disturbing yeah. but <laughs> uh, uh i mean we'll have to we'll have to see the the i was very fortunate with the first and it hitting uh, it was the number one antique and collectible book three times on Amazon, US, USA and Canada. Um, mm. And it's gotten me onto wonderful podcasts like this and podcasts like Around the World. And I've been interviewed in countless magazines. And the second book is getting a lot of the uh, similar uh, uh, attention. And it'll be kind of interesting to see, too, if this, you know, the stories that I like, you know, that touch me, um, uh, touch others. And um, I'll... I'll I'll put this one in there because I think it'll kind of tie in with that. So there's a um, uh, a story about Raymond Hud and who I was friends with. And Ray Raymond Hud uh, was a hat maker and lived to be quite a ripe old age. And but he started very young, and so his things actually became collectible. Uh, mm -hmm. He went to the School of the Art Institute, but he was born on a farm in rural Illinois. And the first first hats he made were for these two donkeys. <laughs> and his mother helped him learn to sew. And then he goes to the Art Institute, and at 24, he opens up a store on, on uh, Oak Street, and, which is, was really expensive back then. Crazy, crazy that this kid, this kid would open up this hat store. What? Right? Mm. <laughs> and, and the most exclusive part of Chicago. I, I just do not know how he did it. Mm. All these celebrities uh, would buy from him. If we can flash forward at Phyllis Diller's estate sale. Um, which is this auction. She had 500 Raymond Hud hats, mm. right? Because she was one of his, his biggest fans and she would sell to, uh, uh, he would sell to, uh, you know, all these, all these uh, famous people. And we became friends in that he would, cause he would make all these hats and this would get a kick out of, because I remember, I remember part of this. So what he was known for besides the celebrity thing, was he would do news hats. And I kind of go in my own head to this is very, very Warhol, but this is about the same time Warhol was doing these things. In that, he had an Iran-Contra hat. Okay. Iran-Contra, yeah, right? You actually like that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did, a, he did the, the, you're too young, but there was the Tylenol poisonings where people okay. were killed with, the, the, they tampered with packaging. It's a terrible, terrible story that happened in Chicago. He did a Tylenol hat. So, I mean, think about it. this is very, um, wow, it, that's kind of out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, right. So it's, it's, it's arty, it's political, it's, it, uh, 
he was something else. And this is just by that time, he's just, you know, he was in probably, I don't know, he probably in his 70s when I met him, late 60s. So I was a kid. Um, anyway, he would say, I'm doing um, an Eiffel Tower hat and I need I need 50 Eiffel Towers. But they can't be metal because they'll be too heavy and they can't be big because they'll, they'll tell the proportions off. So they have to be they have to be plastic, but they have to be the old plastic, not the mm -hmm. new plastic. So that was an example of how we became friends. And mm -hmm. the story is that friendship that would go on for years um, and very much like Jacob Marley in that I just wanted people to know about this person who. Uh, I, I was in awe of him at the time when I finally figured out who, like, who he was. And he tells me a story because we were friends that just broke my heart. That just, it just, just broke my heart. And it's, it's one of my, and it's one of my favorite stories in the book of, of a missed opportunity of a missed opportunity that, and, uh, and how it changed his life. So, and that's called sorrows of the mad hatter. That's mm. a chapter in there, but to this day now, let's go to 2022. Museums have uh, uh, shows about his, about his his hats, so um, uh, and he's he you know he he's he's not he's not forgotten about. But I I think I'm bringing in a very like personal story about him that really nobody knows. So um, again, people and things, right? And uh, his hats are sold on Etsy and eBay. People can look up Raymond Hud right now and mm -hmm. find a find a Raymond Hud hat. I think he made like five thousand hats in his lifetime. Mm. The thing of it is, too, I'm not interested in hats <laughs> mm. at, at all. I was interested in him and what his deal is, was and his project, you know, and him making hats and how excited he would be about this. And that's what he did for a living. And I found that fascinating. But the hat, I guess it could have been, you know, it could have been almost anything. But but I, I, I do like writing about people, especially when um when there's a really important story to be told through the telling of 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 their life, and I, I and I think you know where possible done in a done in an upbeat way. <laughs> right, right. No, I think that's that's awesome for sure. And I would you know just putting things together. You said he made about five thousand hats. If Phyllis Stillers had five hundred of them, if she was basically Phyllis Stillers' personal hat maker, she had ten percent of his hats, huh? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And yet like you go that. in his walls and it would be, you know, yeah. I mean, probably made more, but he, yeah. uh, he would make hats just for people too. So uh -huh. uh, privately, but it's another thing you can Google, you know, just see how, you know, uh, it, and it's not like it's, it, it's curious because it's not like the kind of thing that's going to like just influence, uh, you know, fashion, you know, although it does kind of go back to the fact that vintage is a fashion, mm -hmm. you know, um, and again, people collect those just to, uh, uh, just to collect them. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not wearing them. Um, so it's getting a little darker. There we go. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, yeah, I particularly like, there was a fun chapter to write too. Um, but I felt it, it just felt, it felt right. I mean, that doesn't sound like a chapter that's necessarily particularly funny given what you, you said about the story that he tells, but if this book is, you said funnier than the other one, and I'm looking forward to it because the first one is definitely funny. Uh, yeah, there, there, yeah, there's stories that that turn funny, or there's stories that start funny, and then there's a couple essays in there that the whole thing is funny. <laughs> but just like in, in, in selling dead people's things, I think 
there were parts of it you found amusing. Um, and uh, yet it's still in that same, uh, you know, kind of genre of, uh, of, well, you know, what I do. <laughs> Absolutely. So how can people find both of these books? Oh, to find the books? Yeah. Uh, so, of course, Amazon is mm-hmm. you can uh, you can get uh, both of them. And like I said, Song Dead People's Things is now an audio book. I also say support your local independent bookstore mm-hmm. and you can have uh, them order it for you. I actually prefer you to do that if you can. <laughs> um, both of the books uh, have their own website. So title of the book dot com. You can look for me, uh, Dwayne Scott Cerny uh, and Vintage Confidential on uh, in- Instagram. Um started a TikTok mm-hmm. channel maybe I don't know a month or two ago that's that's funny crazy and kind of allows me to go and share things in a visual way mm-hmm. uh with uh with uh people and uh um I'm on a show out of Vermont called uh, Amber LeMay Live and I'm on that every other uh Sunday and we do a uh antique segment and uh, yeah. that came from doing an appearance or, or two on their show and then they were like hey let's do this so you know, I'll, I'll use the Warhol line. I'll show up to the opening of a door. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us again. You you just talked about your social media, your TikTok. How are people going to find that? Yeah. Facebook. You can see so you can look for myself, <laughs> Dwayne uh-huh. Scott Cerny or either title of the book. Um, and uh, it, and in, Instagram is uh, Vintage Confidential. Gotcha. But I think. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I would just say Google me and I'll. I'll show I'll I'll show up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully somewhere appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's hope so. That that would be another interview if if we've got to talk about places <laughs> you're going to show that. up that's not that's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time. Oh, Jackson, this has been a blast. I so appreciate it. So that was Dwayne Scott Cerny. Awesome guy. Really enjoyed speaking with him. It kind of reinvigorated my passion for. Uh, for all things vintage, all things antiques, and I'll tell you, we recorded this about a month ago, and I have been powering through every uh, every antique mall in the area, and and uh, it, it's it's for the better for me, but I don't know if it's better for my my wallet. But that's another topic altogether. If you are interested in hearing more from Dwayne, I highly recommend those books. Really, really funny, really, really interesting, and know you would enjoy those. Go check those out. Um, both of them have their own website. Those websites are in the show notes. Check him out. Give him uh, a little bit of love there. If you're in the Chicago area, go check out his antique mall. Um, bam, Vin- excuse me, Broadway Antique Mall. So check that out for sure. I uh, I need to get up there myself. I'm only a couple hours away from Chicago, so that's definitely on my my list. Um, but yeah, Dwayne was an awesome guy. Learned so much from him. I hope you did too. Of course, with us, if you're not already following, go follow us on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast, jacksonhuff.com. Go check that out. On Facebook, Not Enough with Jackson Huff is the page. Leave us a five-star review on Apple and on Spotify. Really appreciate that. If you're so inclined, leave us a written review on Apple. Appreciate that as well. But thanks for joining me. Sure to be another guest um, that uh, will fascinate you as well next week. So tune in then. Until then, take it away, Scott. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think 
or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.